Great to see you guys. I uh, literally just came from the airport. <laughs> Can't miss Epic, right? And I just broke it. Okay, whatever. We, <laughs> we got a testimony to share. Would you guys welcome up Taylor Sutter? Come on. Hello, everybody. For you guys that don't know me, I'm Taylor, and if at any time you hear my Michigan accent, please ignore it. <laughs> um, okay, so I grew up in Michigan, and I went to church every now and again, but it didn't really mean anything to me. I just went to go with my family, and I never really had a relationship with God at the time, so it was just to go. Um, my parents were divorced, which always caused me to be in the middle. I was always torn back and forth between their arguments and... Um, so I was just in the middle, I don't know. It stressed me out a lot when I was younger. My dad never tried to be a part of my life and he still doesn't really try unless I put in the effort before he does and that's something that I've just had to learn to deal with. Um, that's always caused me to feel that I wasn't good enough to make time for because he was always coming up with other things that he put before me. So in between, so my parents were divorced, and then um, in between my mom being in and out of relationships, we moved around a lot. So by the time I was in high school, I had been in seven different schools. Um, I never got to build relationships with people because the second I got close to them, I was torn away from them. And so I didn't want to make friends just because there was no point in it. <laughs> so I was always the new girl. I was always the tall new girl. That's what everyone called me. Um, in between visits with my dad, after a while as I was growing up, him and my stepmom convinced me it was going to be a good idea that I should move in with them so that I would have stability and I could focus on graduating. Just because I had moved around so many times, I was getting really bad grades just because going in and out of schools, you can't focus on anything. So um, I decided to change the custody papers when I was like 15. And my mom and I had a really solid relationship up until then, and then I left her. And that was really hard for us to deal with because she had been there my whole life and my dad hadn't, but I really wanted to build a relationship with him. So I thought, okay, well, I'm gonna go move in with him and then that'll help build a relationship. So that's something I did. And when I did that, my credits didn't all transfer into that school and I was bumped down a grade. So I was supposed to graduate in 2011 and they were telling me I couldn't do that. And I wasn't okay with it. So I went to my counselor and figured out a way to graduate on time. I took more than 10 classes and tested out of a class. And during the whole time of my whole year, I would study all the time and my parents would tell me that I wasn't smart enough and that there was no way I could do it just because I wouldn't be able to focus or um, have it in me to do it. So I ended up graduating on time, 2011. I got my diploma. So for other people, high school and graduating isn't that big of a deal, but for me it was really cool because I knew that I could do it and I got to believe in myself and prove everybody wrong, so it was awesome. Um, so through all of this, just like I said before, I never really had a relationship with God. It was just something that I would just go to church every now and then with friends and stuff. Um, after I graduated, I made the first move that was finally my de decision, and I came out here to California because my mom had moved out too. So um, right after I forgot that part. After I left, uh, my mom, she decided she was gonna move to California. So during my high school year, she left and came out here. So after I graduated, I finally got to make that decision and I came out here and that's where I found my epic family. Um, so after I started going to epic, I had like, I was coming and I was still sinning and I wasn't 100% committed to God. I, um, would read my Bible every now and then, but it wasn't something that was that big of a deal to me. It was just epic on Thursday nights and hanging out with people. And so that's kind of where my faith started to grow. And then as a lot of you guys know, I went to El Salvador. Um, that's where I finally started to realize that God made me to be who I am for a reason. And that's where I realized I was actually hearing God's voice for some time. Um, and that's where I started to build a relationship with him as well. It became more than just um, going to church or a religion. I started to hear God's voice and see images and be able to talk to people about how I was feeling about God and be confident about it. So that was really awesome. Ever since I've been back, it's been really cool. Um, so since my dad never wanted to be a part of my life, 
My mom left during my high school years and I was being pulled away from relationships. I was always led to believe that I was going to be left alone and that any relationship I built was going to be left, um, was going to be pulled away from me. But I am now confident that God will never leave me and he will also leave, never leave any of you guys. Um, I was super nervous about speaking tonight. I had no idea why I was going to give my testimony or what I was going to share with you guys. But hearing God's voice is actually really cool because he kind of helped me out a little bit. What God wants me to tell you guys tonight is that God loves you and he will never leave you. Um, He is going to be there no matter what. Through all the sins that you've been through or any relationships that have been broken, he's never going to leave your side. Um, Driving down the road the other day, I heard a Matthew West song that came on and the lyrics were, I can do all things through Christ who give me strength. I don't have to be strong enough. And that's true because God's always going to be there and you're never going to be alone. So you can always count on him and you have our Epic Life family. So that's all I have for you guys. Yeah. Isn't that great? Love that. All right, you guys ready for tonight? Apparently I'm not. Let's see here. I'm going to see if I can figure out how to get this thing a little higher. The joys of being a little bit taller. Perfect. All right, let's pray. Jesus, God, we come before you right now. And Lord, we just declare that you are holy and righteous. You are our leader. You are our provider. Lord, you're the author of every good thing in our hearts and desires. And God, we just stand in a sea of confusion wondering, Jesus, what do we make of this life that you've given us? God, right now we pray that you just would open up our hearts and our eyes to see your great plan, your marvelous purposes, and and God, your great intentions for all of God's people to be exactly where they're supposed to be, doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And Lord, we just pray that you would give us revelation here tonight as we just ask you, God, for guidance. Lord, we pray that tonight there would be equippings of the saints, Lord, that people would find their callings, that people would be sent forth. Jesus, we pray that, that as, as we believe we're a ministry for global impact, that God, the nations will be summoned tonight, Lord, for those that are in this place. And Lord, even if it's the person that's just right next to them or in their own home and city or school, God, we just pray that mission fields would open up here locally for us. God, we're here for eternal impact, eternal purposes. Help us, Lord, to steward this, and may every word that comes forward from my mouth, Jesus, be from your heart and your intention. We don't want to hear from you. We want to hear from you, Jesus. And all God's people said amen. Amen. Awesome. I'm so passionate about this subject. I actually get to teach on it this weekend at a a conference retreat, and it's a total honor, and uh, I'm so excited to share with you guys because, like, our age group is, like, the age that actually matters, you know, like, as we talk about possessing personal vision, to tell, like, a 65-year-old guy that, like, kind of misses the boat a little bit, right? You're like, I mean, it's not too late, but you're like, man, we, we missed a whole bunch of years there. But for us, right? I mean, this is, this is kind of like the chasm. This is why young adult ministries go to dies, because they don't know what to do with you guys, and you guys don't know what to do yourselves oftentimes. But we're not going to settle for that, right? This is epic life, not lame life. And uh, what I want to share with you guys is just a, a blueprint for me. Like, vision is in my DNA. Like, when God was, like, you know, doing whatever, like, vision for me was just, like, ingrained from the, the day I was born. And so, like, my strengths are, like, you know, really small everywhere else. And then vision is, like, really, like, really high. It makes it for everything else. It describes why I have so much psychosis and all sorts of dysfunction. But the point of it tonight is I believe that God has laid a blueprint for how each one of us can find personal vision, find significance, and find our purpose and our calling. Because isn't that what we all want? Like last week we talked about dating relationships. And besides who you are going to marry and, and what God wants to do in, in a romantic relationship and a marriage and kids and all that different stuff. The other part of it is like, what the heck am I going to do with my life? You know, like, in, and how do I serve God and, and, and serve like people and, and careers and balance all that. So tonight we're going to call that because I believe that each one of us have been destined for world impact. 
Every single one of us has been called to be significant in the kingdom. Not one of you has ever been called to say, in the kingdom of God, your role is to sit on the bench and take that spot. If someone gets hurt, we'll call you. Not one of us is purposed to be on the sidelines. Every single one of us is supposed to be in the game. So how do you discover your personal and specific role as a personal vision? This is all going to be personalized for you. So I don't care what the person next to you does, what your brother does, what your, your best friend does, what your mentor does. It doesn't matter. Everything tonight here is just for you. Don't look at anybody else's notes. It will be worthless. Rule number one, like every single thing that you hear and internalize tonight must be specific for you. And the second thing is that you have to trust the word when it says that we hear from the voice of the Lord. We know this from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. It says, in the Old Testament, in the old days, that, that God would speak to the prophets, but in these days that he speaks to us through his son, amen? And we know that the son lives in us. We can't escape that. As Taylor testified, God speaks to us. And so we know that he's going to be speaking to us about what on earth am I supposed to do, right? But the problem is, many of us, we, we often associate our God calling with just merely attending church. We associate our God calling by being religiously busy, by being involved in worthwhile things that maybe have the Jesus sticker on it, that are, are kind of ordained by the church. We think that's our God-given calling. And our God-given calling has nothing to do with attending church, has nothing to do with religion, has nothing to do with a steeple and four walls, has nothing to do with all that. And for years, I really struggled with this because I feared the love of God. I feared the depth of my personal relationship with God because I didn't want to get too close to God because if like, I got really close to God, like, I'd have to become a missionary. It's like, those are what the really holy people do, right? You know, if like you're like, you have like the holy meter and it's like, what do you do? Like, okay, I'm a Christian. Okay, right here. You know, what do you do? Oh, I, I lead a small group of church. You know, you're here. What do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor, you know. And then if you're like a missionary, you're like off the charts. It's just like breaking the scale. You know, you're like, I can't compete with that. This person's like risking their lives for the gospel. And I struggled, like, how, how do I reconcile my personal giftings, abilities, my heart, passion, my DNA with God's eternal purposes? And there's nothing wrong about being a missionary. Please hear me out here. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I hope many of you guys go to the missions field. But the issue is, is that if it's not in your heart, if it's not your passion, if it's not your purpose, it's not your calling. God is not going to call you to something that is not purposed and passionate in your heart. And so I, I became okay with that. I, I finally realized that I didn't have to juggle that if I got so close to God, it was going to mean all these lame things that I had stereotypes for. Because the will of God is fulfilled by people knowing their specific personal passion, purpose, and calling. The will of God will never be fulfilled by you fulfilling an obligation. Are you with me? If you feel obligated to do something, if you get bamboozled into doing a religious activity because you feel that's what God's calling you to do or someone says it is, you are not advancing the kingdom of God at all. You're filling a slot. Where's the fruit in that? But the power in fulfilling the word of God is responding to how he truly made you, what he put in you. And the two things that helped me realize this and reconcile this is, is understanding the scripture. And the first was that, you know, I was worried about, oh, I love business, I love technology, I don't want to become a pastor, you know, like whatever. And I read this, the scriptures. And it's like we're all pastors, we're all priests. And we know this from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says that we're a royal priesthood. Revelation 1, 5, 6 says that, that we were saved by God to be made a kingdom of priests. It's like all, all of us are, right? It's like, perfect. And the second thing is, is, is balancing, you know, full-time versus part-time ministry. It's like, okay, I got my life here, and then I got God time here, you know? And I try to, like, if, if I can push that balance a little bit more, like that holy meter starts going up or whatever. But, but I read the, the word and begin to be free of it because 1 Corinthians 3.9 says we are co-laborers with Christ. We are co-laborers with Christ. How many sick days do you think Jesus takes? Vacation days, anything like that? No. Like, if Jesus is in us and we are co-laborers with Christ and he's working through us, he's never stopping. We need to, we need to get rid of the idea that, that normal life turns off and Jesus' life begins. Because we know that Jesus lives in us, as Galatians 2.20 tells us. And we know that, that John 3.21 says, whoever lives by the truth, his life becomes evident and everything he does is to the glory of God. 
1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, whatever you do, whatever you do, whether you sit in a pew or not, whether you go to Africa or go to Sacramento, whether you're a plumber or a pastor, whatever you do, whether you sharpen pencils, you know, it doesn't matter. Whatever you do, you do it to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. And so that suddenly liberated me. It's like, man, awesome. I I can be who God wanted me to be instead of this whole clown that I'm trying to figure it out. But Jesus... Even Jesus knew the power in possessing a personal vision. John 13, 3 says this. Jesus knew, everyone said knew, that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Do you guys catch that? Is that Jesus himself knew where he came from, he knew where he was going, and he knew what he was equipped with, and he knew what he had to do. That sounds so much more advanced than many of us. Like, I don't know where I came from. I don't know where I'm going. You know, and, and, and but, but Jesus himself, he had the knowledge that his personal vision was to be fulfilled through following God for what God had laid out for him, God's only son. And in business, which is what I'm in, in is that, uh, anybody in business class at all, like business majors? Want, want, no one. <laughs> Never mind, I'm going to skip that one then. <laughs> Two? <laughs> all right, so... If you take a business course, okay, we got a couple, all right? We got to fix that. No. Uh, if, you, if you enroll in business like school or courses, you, you take business or, or marketing. How about that? Communications marketing. You have something called like the four P's of marketing. And being in business, I can tell you they're absolutely worthless. But people like who've never practiced business tell you that the four P's of marketing are really important, you know? And I'm going to give you tonight the five P's of vision. And I promise you, these don't suck. Like, the four pieces of marketing, they're just like, nah, whatever. But these, I really believe, are instrumental for each one of us living a life of substance, finding of call, a calling of meaning and significance, and having an impact in the kingdom. Amen? How many people live lives thinking that they're having an impact, but really aren't? How many people have, like, they're so impressed with what they're, what they're telling you, and man, they're, they're getting saved while they're talking, you know? And you're just like... <laughs> I got nothing here. I want us to be people that have impact. I want us people that change the lives, the cultures, the ideas, the fabric, the dreaming of those around us. And so that's going to require a specific set of of tools to know and to recognize for how to do that. Are you guys ready? So this is about vision. So the first component of vision is people. Every vision's objective is people. Every vision's objective is people. People are the end result, nothing else. Nothing else. Making money is not a vision. Getting married is not a vision. Those are, are happenstance outcomes. They're, they're things that happen along the way, but those are not a vision. And every vision's objective is people because people are God's objective. Are you with me? That God only exists for you and I, right? And so clearly, if we're going to have a God-centered vision that aligns up with his purposes We might as well have the same objective. And so God's objective is people. Our objective in every vision, I'm going to break it down more for you, is ultimately about people. That's the purpose. People are the purpose. Love God, love people. Remember, Jesus says those are the only two commandments you got to remember, right? That was the case for him. John 17, 4 and 6, this is Jesus saying this. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. I have, real, I have revealed you to those whom you have given me out of this world. Jesus' vision was revealing God to those the Father gave him. It was right there. Jesus fully understood it. He's like, I completed what I was supposed to do. How many of us fear the end of, of, of life where we stand before God and he's like, so, you know, how'd you do? Right? Did you do what you're supposed to do? And how many of us are going to be like, oh, I missed that memo. Like, man, I I checked my email. I didn't get what I was supposed to do. I kind of lived, I attended church really well. I I I had a Bible cover, you know, like we we can have all those things. But, But even Jesus knew that he was given people by God, by God the Father. And he did what? He revealed the Father to them. He clearly knew what was going on. And so as we look at that vision, the objective of every vision as people is that we need to know that God will give you people whom, listen, you are unusually qualified to have influence with. 
Every single one of you has an unusual ability to influence somebody. I have no, no influence over a whole lot of people, but there's some people I have great influence over. I led a technology breakout session uh, for this, this event here at Capitol with all these pastors, and I, didn't, I was like, there's gonna be two people here, right? We had, like, we filled it like 85, 90 people. And like, like, I'm the expert in what I was talking about. I have like tremendous influence. I like, I hand out tons of business cards. I have my inbox is flooded. Like I have an influence with certain people, but I go and like, I go to a doctor. It's like, I got nothing for you. I can't even pronounce the words that you are speaking right now. And so that's fine. But we need to know that God has made you specifically wired to be unusually influential in someone's life, some people group's life. It's how God designed it. He, he's not going to call you to a people group which you have not a tool in the box for, that you have nothing for. He is going to call you specifically because you've been equipped specifically for someone. How many of you know that, that God reaches the world through us? Right? God, God created us so that, that we can be his hands and feet. Sometimes that, that, that conduit, that connection point for people, sometimes it can be a profession, sometimes it can be a talent or expertise, sometimes it's just a hobby or interest. Uh, other times it's an area of personal victory. If you've overcome something, and man, you're, you're, like, you're the expert in this area. God is going to make you unusually qualified and influential in people's lives. But here's the challenge, is that we live in a culture, community, families, friends, where everybody else has an opinion about what our calling is. Isn't that right? Everybody else has an opinion about what we should be doing, and their opinion is we're doing the wrong thing. I don't know about you, but when I decided to graduate from college, we have a dorm with a little business, and uh, I, I'm going to get married, and I'm going to support my wife with my startup. I have one person besides my parents that thought that was a great idea. Everyone's like, you're an idiot. You know, we're going to pray for the spirit of stupid to be released off of you. You know, like, I got all sorts of flack. Everyone's like, no, you should go get a job. You should go work in a marketing firm. You know, you should do this. Everybody was telling me what my vision should be. And I knew because I had, I had come into a season where I first, for the first time, was hearing God's voice and feeling his peace. And so I knew, no, this is, this is for me. You know that Jesus encountered the same exact thing in John chapter 6, verse 14? And it says that Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force and make him king. If people had their way around Jesus, he would have been a king and a ruler. And so you need to know that as we talk about developing your personal vision, that you need to resist the pressure from someone else projecting their idea of your vision on you. Amen? Your vision is for you. That's why everything that you're internalizing, everything that you're thinking about is just for you. Resist the pressure from somebody else to make your life look like theirs when it comes to your God calling because God is a creator, not a duplicator, amen? He didn't create anybody like two. Like, why would, why would he spend all the powers of eternity in making two identical people with the same exact calling? God's not a wasteful guy. He made you specifically to be unique and have specific influence. And in addition to being unusually qualified for a people group, you have also been uniquely equipped for a specific problem or need. And this is number two. Every vision addresses a problem or need. Every vision addresses a specific problem or need. Andy Stanley says this about vision. It says, vision is the inability to accept things the way they are. It is a clear God picture of what could be and should be. A picture of what could be and should be. Every vision addresses a problem or need. Every vision, I like to think of it this way, every vision has a battle to fight, has a victory to be had, right? A woman to rescue, like fill in whatever like manly metaphor you want there, but every vision has a, a, a battle to, to endeavor for, a purpose to die for, right? Every vision is, is worth your heart's calling. If it's worth your heart's calling, surely it's got to be significant for a purpose to overcome some. There's got to be a bad guy and a good guy, right? I really think that when we when we think about what our God calling is, is that, that we want to do things that may be worthwhile but aren't actually problems or needs. There is something specific about a problem or need that you see in specific people that pings your heart. There's something specific that people that you have unusual influence for. Maybe it's, it's a community you're part of. Maybe it's friends or family. Maybe it's something. But in the, those, those groups of individuals, you have a specific problem or need that hits your heart. 
and you don't know why, but you got some ideas. <laughs> you know, like you, you think about it. Every vision, I don't care, you, you go to like the greatest organizations in the, world, in the world, and they have like these like lofty vision statements, right? Well, every vision statement actually addresses a problem. To say that we want to bring clean water to the world, like you wouldn't have the vision to bring clean water if there wasn't like, you know, bad water, you know? Uh, you know, to bring life and freedom to people wouldn't be a vision if there was, wasn't death and bondage and destruction. So when we look at our visions and that they're lofty, like they really are addressing a problem that hits your heart. And a God-given vision gives you the eyes to see that need. Sometimes people don't hold up a cardboard sign saying, I need to be restored because my father like abused me. Like they're not going to put that on a cardboard sign for you. That's going to take the prompt of the Holy Spirit to reveal brokenness in someone's heart. You can't describe it. You can't put a name on it. You don't know why, but you know you're called to this person's heart because you sense the brokenness. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit making it really like easy for you. Like, There's a reason your heart's on fire right now. With these people, do something. Find out what that is. Be bold. There's a need that needs to be corrected. There's a, there's a problem and there needs to be potential. What is the problem that stirs your hearts? And, th- and don't overthink this either. Sometimes it's really, really simple. Sometimes it's just people don't know the love of Jesus. Is there somebody in your, your life or your community or your whatever that they need to know Jesus and it really hurts your heart? I think God is revealing a little bit of vision right there. Maybe people need meaningful relationships. Maybe people don't understand the Bible. Maybe it's, it's people need food. It's, it's a problem and a need. And, and so we look at these things that every single person that we are called to has a, spe- a specific need that we are already equipped for. We think the problem, again, is that people need to be busy with, with religious activities. It's not the case. The bottom line is that your vision is about impacting a problem affecting people. So the first one is about people. The second one is about a problem or need. The third P is this, is passion. Every vision requires passion. And so when you take these people, combine it with this problem or need, you will find passion. And if you don't, it's not your vision. It's not your calling. There will always be passion in the midst of impacting people's lives. God is not going to pull you in and it's like, oh, do I have to go change this person's life? You know, like, it's, it's not going to be that way. God, God doesn't, like, really need you. He's going to call somebody else. It's like, I'm going to just charge into this. I'm going to jump into it. And why? It's because changing people, changing the world is difficult. It takes a heart that's committed. It takes people that are going to go for it. If you have someone that's, like, totally not into it, they're going to last, like, two seconds the moment, it, like, there's awkward silence. Like, I'm out of here, you know? You will be passionate about the, the impact that addressing this problem in the people. You'll be passionate about that. If there's no passion, then it's not personal. If there's no passion, it's not personal to you. It's a great indicator. It's someone else's passion. It's someone else's calling. If it's not passionate for you, it's not personal to you. And you will always, always know when emotion stirs you that God is speaking about your passion Passion and emotion are working hand in hand. Philippians 3, 17 says, this is the Apostle Paul. He says, join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now again say, even with tears in my eyes, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Can you hear the passion that Paul has? He's writing this letter. He has tears in his eyes. He spells it out that, that their, their appetite is for destruction. It says that they're, they're living, they've totally wandered the path. And so in here, we know that where their emotion is and where our hearts are drawn is our calling, is our vision. Paul wrote some like long letters. Like you gotta be passionate about that to write that much. Like on a scribe and you know, like, you know, like a feather, you know, like that would take forever. But no one ever reached greatness that's just getting to you guys. No one ever reached greatness by m- merely fulfilling requirements. Everything great was accomplished through passion. Everything. A few notes on passion is passion is the initial and sustaining ingredient to greatness. Passion will be what stirs you and sparks, and it'll be the, the sustaining factor of the flame. Passion is also what empowers you to see the potential where there's a problem. When we went to an orphanage, 
and saw the great need. It was passion for like, wow, we're rich Americans. We have a bunch of friends with a bunch of money and we live in a group that thinks we can change the world. Why don't we raise some money? You know, like it's simple as that. And it will give you the potential. It'll give you the power to see the potential. Passion is also what gives you the, the capacity to pursue. Again, God's not going to call you to something you don't want to go after because you will never possess that which you refuse to pursue. You will never possess that which you refuse to pursue. It's a great sermon in dating right there too. Passion also enables perseverance to see things to the end result. What is necessary to seeing anything to fruition is passion. Being a startup, being in business, winging it, you have to love what you do because you have to be ready to miss a lot of paychecks if you're going to go after it. And passion is what helps you endure that. Passion brings purpose to the pain. And without passion, you'll simply fulfill requirements. Someone, show me someone without passion, I'll show you someone who hasn't accomplished anything. It's really as simple as that. If you don't have passion, you're probably not changing the world. You look at people, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, fill in the blank, anybody great and mighty that, that we would know by name who had an impact in the world and you find someone that was filled with passion. The bottom line is that you must be passionate about addressing the problem of the people. Are you with me? The fourth is that your, your passion for the problem affecting people will give you inspiration for a process. Your passion for the problem facing the people will give you inspiration for a process. A lot of alliteration, are you with me? <laughs> process, every vision produces a process. Every vision produces a process. And these are all coupled together. Just like I said, when we went to the, the orphanage and we saw the great need, our passion for the problem affecting people gave us an idea. Why don't we come back here again with lots of money? <laughs> you know? And why don't we raise money online? Why don't we take tacos and sell tacos for money? Why don't we take t-shirts and sell t-shirts for money? Why don't we have Percos go and give us little coupons that anybody we send there, they give us money. Like the passion for the problem facing people gave us ideas for a process. So your personal calling, your, your life vision will be the product of you seeing the opportunity, the need, the passion, and you'll have ideas. Wow, what if we did this? The most powerful two words in the whole entire English language are what if. What if. If you haven't said those words in your personal life, I don't know if you're dreaming. I don't know if you're listening. It's a mandate that every single believer is always asking what if. Because the gospel is impossible. The calling of God is impossible. Like what, what, what God says, like it's, it's impossible for those who try and get their mind around it, but all things are possible with God, right? And so that demands that we don't have our conscience and our minds take us out of the running because we say it's not possible. If, if, if I believed that it wasn't possible, I wouldn't be in business, I wouldn't have software, I wouldn't have all these different things, but because I'm often stupid enough to believe something is possible, it is possible. Like, I've realized in business that every, you can do anything, like literally anything, if you just like go after it and you just give yourself enough time to figure it out. Anything is possible. It's crazy. Like, this past week, we figured out how to like swipe credit cards on iPhones and iPads. Our, our biggest competitor in this space, I think it spent $200 million figuring that process out. And we're like, oh, let's figure it out. It took us like two weeks. Now, it's, it's, it's amazing what you can do when you think like, man, something is possible, we just got to figure it out. And Jesus had a process. He went to where people were, right? Like this is like Jesus 101, right? Step one of Jesus' process. He went to where people were. Hey, there's fishermen. I'll go over there, you know. <laughs> hey, there's a woman over there at the well. You know, I'll go over there. Like he went to where people were. He wasn't like, so um, I'm holding an evangelism sermon on uh, the fourth block of the, you know. He, he didn't like, produce a service and like, everyone come to me, you know. Like he went to where people were. That was his process. I'm not saying that advertising is a bad thing, but the process that Jesus gave for his personal visions was to go to where people were already at. Next, he engaged them and he called them. He says, come follow me and I'll make you fisher of men. Matthew 4:19. Again, in Luke 9, 23, he says, if anyone should come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me daily. He called people. And then he led them and taught them by example and by word. And Jesus' own personal flair is that he used parables to make complex concepts come alive. That was Jesus' process. 
Each one of us are going to be given a process, a methodology for affecting people. One of the most influential people I know in this room is Waterbury, and his methodology for impacting people is easy. Three steps. One, meet with somebody. Two, ask questions. Three, follow up. Repeat. <laughs> right? Is it any more complex than that? <laughs> I mean, like, there's a, and some realize, oh, yeah, the follow-up, <laughs> you know, like, but that's the process for extracting greatness out of people. He sees the potential in people and he adopts the process that he's been called for, for meeting and showing up. Second, asking questions. Third, following up. Fourth, repeat. It's simple as that. There's going to be a process at every junction when we encounter our God vision. And to impact people, I really believe this, to impact people, 99% of the job is just showing up. You want to impact the world? You want to impact a person? 99% of that job is just you simply showing up. But when we think about the process, sometimes we can overthink it. You know, we think about like what we need to do, and like we think, I need to start a 501c3 organization, I need to disciple someone, I need to write a book, I need to go on tour, I need to... You know, whatever. I mean, those are fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Certainly, I'm entrepreneurial, and I, I you know, I have a nonprofit. I like, I, I get that. But sometimes the lofty goal comes at the expense of actually walking in your vision. Sometimes the grandness of the vision is going to debilitate you from actually stepping forward in the first steps that are required. Sometimes it's just simply becoming an advocate. It's just like I agree with that. Liking it on Facebook, first step to being a world changer, right? Simple. You can donate. You, you can donate five bucks. The majority of our donations that came through for our El Salvador trip, 280 some odd donors. We raised $36,000. Most of them were under 100 bucks. We spent 100 bucks on Starbucks every week. You know, like, it's crazy. Like, each one of us, we can do something, even if that's, that's it. But, but I want to challenge you. What are the, the specific roles and ways in which you compassionately address the problem affecting people. You with me? And next, it's important to know that, that this process that you have is just part. God, God didn't make you like the almighty world changer, you know, overall. <laughs> He's like, we're all world changers, right? So we're each going to play a part. Apostle Paul says this, and he's talking about this exact same concept about that there are many people changing the world together, that God is a great project manager. He's making sure that people are working together and working in conjunction. He says this, he says, what then is Apollos and what then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. I challenge you, what part is your process going to play? If you got to think that, that you, your life has to change everybody, the whole entire life cycle, you know, of everybody, like you're going to be discouraged because God's saying, man, you don't need to be like Michael Jordan on the court. Like, can you just, you know, pass the ball? Can you just do this? Like, you know, play a part, be part of the team. Be part of the team. Play a part. Be okay that you're going to come in and you're going to think that it was a total waste of time, but someone else is going to come and that's going to be a full, full harvest for them. I've been the recipient of that. I've been the recipient of like talking to some guy. Yeah, yeah, like how's it going? Oh, it's not going too well. Well, do you know Jesus? No, I've been meaning to. And he gets saved, you know? It's like, well, that was the easiest thing ever. I find out that like for 20 years, his family's been praying for his salvation, like trying to beg him to do things. And I'm like, oh, hey, you know, like what's up, you know? And it's like, that was easy, and I don't understand. I don't have the concept to know that sometimes we live playing supporting roles to the main act. That you and I, we're all supporting roles to much grander play that we have no idea. We're walking right in the middle of the spotlight, and we, we don't know. And we can't discount the part that it's going to play. If a coffee meeting is the part you can play, do that. If writing a blog is the part you can play, do that. If asking someone the tough questions is all you can do, just do that. You're playing a small part in a grand role. You look at a symphony. The symphony is beautiful. Why? Because each individual person is playing their little part. And I, I was, you know, musical too. And so I used to play, you know, high school in the band. And it's like, you only heard your part. 
Like you're only hearing your part and you're like concentrating on your part, but to the audience, they're hearing the whole blended uh, uh, result and that's powerful, it's beautiful. And Jesus is saying, I, I'm in the audience. We play for an audience of one, but we play together. So we need to know that. And the bottom line is that the process is how you contribute to the problem facing people. It could be anything. Are you guys still hanging in there? Ready for the fifth one? And before I jump into the fifth one, I just want to give just one quick trap on that. Is that oftentimes when we think about these things, is that we receive the vision oftentimes in full. When we are asking God to live in our hearts for the problem-facing people, he's given us a passion idea, and usually it's the, the, the full result. Why? It's because God wants to give us hope for what's coming. But what happens is that we look at that big thing and we're so discouraged that like we, we have our first coffee meeting and it goes terrible. We're like, oh, you know, like that was terrible. I'm never going to do this again, you know. And, and oftentimes the grandness and the fullness of the God-given vision for you sometimes in the tiny steps leading up to there can totally discourage you. And it's easy to fall in love with the outcome at the expense of the journey. It's easy to fall in love with the outcome at the expense of the journey. If your goal is to, to preach in stadiums and you, you can't host a Bible study with like two people, why would God give you a stadium when he's like, you know, I got two people here, they're ready. No mic needed, like we don't need a sound guy, no offense to Jake, but you know, it's like it'd be so much easier, like the, all the technical details are already set up. And God is saying, when I give you grand vision, do not worry about the size and the impact right now. And why? It's because the fifth P in vision is this, it's promotion. Every vision reaches fruition through promotion. Every vision reaches fruition by promotion. Lots of IONs there. I know, I'm sorry. I couldn't figure out a better way to say it. What does this mean? It means the presence of a grand vision does not lead you to fulfill that vision. Possessing the vision, having the vision, having clarity on the vision is not what is going to give you the fulfillment and the fruition of that vision. The vision is going to be accomplished by promotion. It's like having a car. You can have the best car ever, but unless you go through turning it on, you know, putting it in, putting it in, I don't know, like, I used to have one of these guys, putting it in drive, putting the foot on the pedal, like changing gears, like you're not going to go fast, you're not going to win the Indy 500 just by, I have a fast car. And every vision that you want, every, every God-given vision is going to be uh, brought to fruition through promotion. Are you guys with me? Is that making sense? Is that when we look at a story like the 10 talents in Matthew 25, Jesus is, is given the illustration of the owner who, who gives these guys like a few coins, a, a few denarii, I think. And he's like, I'm going to go away. Like, whatever you do with it, you know, I'll come back. And uh, so he comes back and each person has a, has, you know, invested or done something and, and they come back with different returns and, and yields and one person didn't do anything with it. And, and the response was, you wicked servant, you didn't do anything. Like at least you could have put it out of risk, like swing for the fences, do something. And the people who, who did put it at risk and brought a return, they got more. Now what does this tell us is, is that, that each person was given a small amount first, but what they did with it is what determined what they received next. What you do now, when you have the idea, when you have the calling, when you have the passion, you have the people, you have the problem, what you do now in response to that is what is going to determine what comes next. God is a great steward. He's watching. He invests in people. He invests in, in all of us. And so God is going to give you a grand vision. He's going to give you great passion. He's going to give you the best process ever. He's going to give you such clarity. You're going to have the, the, the biggest people group to reach. They're going to have the biggest impact. They have the greatest need. And you encounter only one person that meets all that criteria and you can't pull it off. I really question if God's going to use you to bring the fulfillment to that grand vision. Because he's not interested in you taking all the glory at the end result. 
He's interested about the people being impacted for his glory. And if you're saying like, God, only if it's, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, only if, if by this, only if it's my fingerprint. We have this nonprofit and, and uh, it, it helps people with their, their passions. You know, like if you're interested in homelessness, it, it tries to line you up with organizations and places to serve. And it tries to like look at, almost like a dating service for like, you know, needs and wants and things, you know. You just build your profile, you know. Anyways, uh, but there's like a lot of other groups out there. And there's a lot of groups that want to use it. And it's awesome when we do so. But here where the rub comes is that, that we've had some of the biggest organizations in the world approach us for the software. Biggest organizations in the world. Billion dollar organizations. And like, we'll use this, but only if we can put our exclusive brand on it. Only if you can put your exclusive brand on it. It made no sense. Like, we're not going to do that. Like, why, why would we do that? Like, why does the brand, why, why does the, you know, the, the grandeur of, of your thumbprint of your organization matter so much that it has to undercut everybody else? If you can't just sign up just for being one of the, one of the other organizations, then why, why should we entertain this whole idea? It makes no sense. But we need to know that when we ask God for an oak tree, what does he do? Anybody know the answer to this? He gives us an acorn, a seed. God, give me an oak tree. And like this little acorn falls to the ground. Like kick it, you know. Like, I said an oak tree, you know. Like, what we need to know is that the oak tree is in the acorn. The oak tree is in the acorn if we know what to do with it. Amen? So God's going to give you a great vision, a process, a passion, a people, a problem. And you need to know what to do with it first. It's plant the darn acorn. Get some water. Preferably in some sun. Like it's not that hard. But there's going to be an initial process. And so what I want to challenge you with this is that the greatest workings, if, if you come to the end of this and you're like, whoa, like I totally get it. The most challenging thing that you will have is just to start with only one person. Only start with one person. I tell you the truth, you will find it more difficult to start with one person than if God gave you a room full of 100. It'd be so much more challenging for you but if you want to see that vision come to fruition, you have to go at incrementally. You have to go at, at the first step. When we started this ministry, like, it's great because we got, you know, full rooms, butts and seats. It's great. But I had to, like, go into it knowing, like, if there is one person that comes that night, will we still get up and do service? Will we still deliver the word to one person? And we, we had lots of nights, like, when we're starting out, it's, like, hard. Like, you're, like... 20 people, 15 people are like, so we're going to bring it in a little closer. We're going to have a little intimate night. You know, like you, you try and like work around it. But, but it would be so easy to quit. It would be so easy to get discouraged. If you're leading a small group and you're bummed out because two people win, I wonder if it's the vision that God is really birthing in your heart. If you can't get excited about one person, if you can't get excited about one person, what makes God believe that you're going to get excited about 20 what about, let's say if he gives you 100,000 in your home. You know, it's like, I got to go up higher so y'all can hear me, you know. And the next week he gives you two people. Are you going to be discouraged and be like, what's wrong, God? Like, God is not interested in the outcome. He's interested in you going through the process. He's interested in the promotion that it takes increment by increment by increment. Are you with me? And the only downside to having the clear vision of what you're supposed to do, who you're supposed to do it with, Careful there. The problem you're facing, I don't know what's with me. Like I, past couple weeks, I've thrown out these like out of context phrases that's got me in trouble. <laughs> but, but the downside of having clarity of that is that you can develop an intolerance for the very first step. Is that you can refuse the first and only necessary step to making it all happen. Every vision starts with one person, one step, one idea. Does that all make sense? I'm going to invite the band up real quick, and we're going to worship, and we're going to go into some ministry time here. <clears throat> actually, um, I actually have a handout. Um, I don't like typically doing handouts, because it feels like homework. Uh, but if this is something you're like, man, I, I would love to like, really get clarity on this. And if you're not into it, don't, don't do it. I don't care. It's not my life. 
I care about you, but I'm not going to like beg anybody to like have a vision statement. And you know, like I, I feel that our, our call is to have leaders and the fabric of our ministry be dreamers and, and charging this full time, you know, like going after it. And if you're like, that's totally awesome. I want to possess that. I want to like have that. I want to have clarity on it. I have a little handout and maybe we can just hand it out here. Uh, I think uh, Sal's got it. So he's going to pass it through the rows. And so what it is, it's, it's pretty simple. It takes you through, I think, like four steps. And it asks you these questions. So to summarize, the people, every vision's objective is people. Can you specifically give a people group, young adults, homeless? It could be businessmen, it could be anybody. Is, is there a specific people, set group, culture, area that, that God has made you unusually qualified to reach? The second thing, is there a need that you can identify in there? Is there a problem that they are facing? For youth, if it was like, I, I feel called to youth, high school, is there a problem or a need? It could be drugs, it could be temptation, it could be peer pressure, it could be knowing the Bible, it could be knowing Jesus, it could be knowing Jesus and the Bible. Like, is there, is there a specific problem or need within that people group? Next, what is the process? What is the process? How would you draw high schoolers, youth, into coming to know Jesus and the Bible. The next thing is some action verbs. What do you want to do? Do you want to train, teach, equip, show, disciple, mentor? You know, like, what, what, is the, what are some action verbs that you would use in the process? And then it's just a simple, like, formula at the end. It's like a little fill in the blank, kind of like Mad Libs, you know? Um, and it helps you, like, actually guide through your first vision statement for your life. And this is not a silver bullet. I, I, don't, I don't pretend to say that this is the answer. Like a lot of this takes some soul seeking and some heart seeking for, like maybe you're like, I don't know who God is maybe unusually qualified for. You're like, I, I don't know. And, but I, I've had conversations with many of you guys, like there's people in here that are just called to Muslim outreach that comes from the Lord. And so if that's you, like, like it's clear, it's okay, okay you know, Muslim outreach, I, I get it. You know, and what? That they would come to knowledge of Jesus. Awesome. How? And then you can fill in the, the process of like, okay, it's going to be first by being where they're at. Does that mean that you're going to mosques? Does that mean you go out to the street? Does that mean you, you go where they are, right? You, you get educated on their culture. You get educated on what they believe. And, and so that you, you give yourself like some of the steps of the process. And then you are able to write, I am passionate about reaching Muslims to know the power of God in their life. And I will do that by going to where they are, by loving on them exactly with the, the, their beliefs, but showing them Jesus. Doesn't that sound awesome? Like each one of us can have that. Each one of us can know exactly what we're meant for, what we're supposed to do. And again, remember that this is just for you. It's not for anybody else. What somebody else is called to makes no sense for you. It's another language. God's a creator, not a duplicator. Amen. We're going to invite the prayer team to come up on the side and uh, on the sides here. And we're just going to worship. And, and even if uh, you need clarity on these things, um, I'm, just, I'm actually going to turn it over here. You guys know what to do, but let's worship the Lord and go into ministry time.